Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 538 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, joined with my uh, co-host, Joe. How are we doing today? I'm doing well, Todd. I've even taken it as far as to keeping my hands away from everything and no pens, nothing to distract me to get that clean three to five seconds where I know where to cut the show, you know? Right. You, you know how to cut things, so you're definitely good at that. That's right. I'm not Ryan from Wakeman, but hopefully no one is. That's a joke for, like, no people. Oh, good. I, those are the best jokes. It's, it's one thing when it's a joke for one person, but it's even worse when it's a joke for no people. Not worse. It's better. Maybe. Mm, look who you're talking to, so. Yeah. So what do we got to uh, talk about on the show this week? Uh, in news, we have DC's backstock and distributing. Um, finally, the greatest detective of all time teams up with Batman. Also, if you've been listening to preview in the past, you know it's the 30th anniversary of a certain character, and Marvel's doing a special about him. Um, also, we have free digital books and sales. What we read last week, which was The Immortal Hulk, number 42. What we're looking forward to this week. Todd and Joe have issues. Um, also, at the end of the show, oh, Todd's Art Attack. And at the end of the show, we'll have a spoiler-filled talk of not the first episode, but the first two episodes of WandaVision, which I did not know they were doing that until the night before it was released. Yep. I've been doing my best to avoid any and all of the supplemental materials and stuff, you know? Mm hmm And after I watched the first two episodes, and of course we'll talk about that at the end of the show, but I went and I peeked at some of the stuff that came out before the first two issues came out. Episodes, yes. Uh, first two episodes came out, and I'm just, I'm just going to say that I'm glad that I didn't look at that stuff before I watched the episodes. Right. All I'll say is before we get to that is that... Uh, I saw a lot of the commercials were on TV while I was watching football, especially like when the games were on ABC. Um, so they had WandaVision commercials and I was like, okay, so I did see some stuff, but it wasn't until the night before that I heard that the first two episodes would be dropped. So I was like, that was nowhere that I saw before. Mm -hmm. so that just kind of blew my mind. But anyway, anyway, so we've talked here, one of the bigger stories, I think, over the last six to seven months has been DC pulling away from Diamond, going to UCS and Lunar Distribution, and then just to Lunar. Mm -hmm. So it appears as though Lunar and DC both sent stuff out to retailers this past week, saying that a bunch of stuff uh, is coming into the back stock from the diamond warehouses and they hope to have like a clean slate no more stuff at ucs no more stuff at diamond by middle of february which will like you know streamline things for de de dealers and distributors because like our dealer you know was at diamond then got bounced 
you know, like everybody did, went to UCS, made that choice, and then UCS gave it up, and now it's Lunar. So it's funny, whenever I talk to to the bassist, he's like, yeah, we have to figure out each time where stuff was, you know what I mean, who we ordered it from, then is Lunar going to pick it up, and blah, blah, blah. So it is a bit of a nightmare, and I really feel bad for all the the retailers, but hopefully by the middle of February, it'll all like you know snowball and get to where we got to be, and things will be smooth smooth sailing because that that would be really nice for retailers in these in these troubling times, Joe. Well, there is one thing that I did lament with our local retailer this past week, mm, and what? it is how much the Lunar website stinks. Okay. So when you go to the Lunar website, there's an email address, of course. You can reach out to them and do whatever you want. Uh, You can pull up current and past issues of DC Connect, which is the digital-only previews that DC does now. Right. And that's great for stuff that's upcoming, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, like, the last, like, seven months of stuff that should have been out. But those are like original solicitation dates, things change, plans change, things get delayed, things get moved around, right? Mm-hmm. So then you have a thing where I'm assuming, since this is f- for you being a retailer, uh, your final order cutoff date stuff. Right. And I, I like that, right? For the retailer and so forth. Uh, our local retailer said he likes that because it gives you the option, it's everything together. But the next part down, which is the new releases, they only have up to the week of. Like, even, like, Marvel's site and, like, the main DC site gives you, like, a fishbone of what the next week is, let alone, like, Diamond that gives you, like, next week and the following week. Right. Um, It's tough because you don't, you can't say for sure. Like, when someone comes in and says, hey, is such and such book going to come out is going to be out next week. You can go to Diamond site and see, okay, well, this is what's on the shipping list for Diamond for next week. And I could take that to the bank because that's definitive set in stone for next week. I, I, as a retailer, have that the Friday prior. So if someone comes in a Wednesday, I knew five days ago what's coming out the following week, if you're with me. Right. But Diamond right. also has the week after, they have that fishbone schedule of like, Here's like 80% sure of the stuff that's coming out two weeks from now. Right. Subject to change. Subject to change. But you don't even have that on DC site or Lunar site anymore for DC stuff. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes in and says, hey, uh, you know, I know uh, the future state Lex Luthor Superman book was originally solicited for the third week of January. Is that still coming out the third week of January? And as a retailer, you have to say to the person coming into the store, I don't know. Okay. So not everyone is someone who watches and follows these things obsessively like me. And, uh, you know, maybe not even someone who has, like, a pull list or whatever, right? No, I get you. So you say to that person, I don't know. Well, that person was like, well, I don't know. You know, you don't know. I don't know. This guy don't know what he's talking about. I'll go, you know, I'll find it somewhere else or I'll look somewhere else. or Right. Right. Like if I had, if I had definitive news that it would be out like in a week or two or whatever, it would be like, okay, well, hold me one. And you know, here's a deposit, like deposit, you could do something with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. With, I don't know. There's a lot of, well, you know, I don't want to give you money on something that might not be coming in. So right. I get you. 
And it just thinks, of course, now that everything is kind of under one umbrella except for DC. And we had lamented this some two, three months ago with Future State happening and so many books just kind of, I don't want to say not mattering, but... They don't matter. You could say it. it. No, because, you know, it, it feels as though there's a lot of Batman stuff that's going to matter at some point. If you say so, I'm okay. I'm going to take the opposite on it, but go ahead. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is like all this stuff is happening and it all feels like new number ones to kick off the new year. And that's great. And then there's like all new number ones that are coming out in March and April as well that are separate from the new number ones and twos that came out over the last two months. I actually talked about this with the bassist yesterday and I said, it's a wonderful thing for me as a, as a customer to get a break from DC books because literally I, I know you didn't pick up. Did you pick up you're ordering like one future state book that I can think of off the top of my head where I'm two. Uh, I know you did that for our conversation last week. Uh, I put Swamp Thing on the list and the okay. aforementioned Superman Lex Luthor book because it's written by Mark Russell. Okay, I was I was remembering that definitely the Mark Russell one. And then when we discussed, I forgot about the Swamp Thing one. But me, I went uh, Flash, Green Lantern, Swamp Thing, Suicide Squad. So I have four. So with a couple other spattering of books that are in there, like, you know, that are ongoing, that, that aren't affected by it. Um, minis and stuff like that. I was like, this is really great for me for two months because my DC books have not been knocked down to four. I'm saving a lot of money. Yeah. But I did notice when the solicits came out for March that once again, my books went back through like from four to 14 or 16, maybe uh-huh. it's a lot. I have my list. So it's bad. It, it's, it's, I'm hoping like we even discussed, it's bad to do that to the retailers, like to start the year off with books that, you know, like you say, maybe it don't matter. People don't really want, they're like, I want my soup, my regular Supermans. I want my regular Batmans, blah, blah, blah. But it looks like there's going to be like, you know, a deluge of stuff when we come back from March. So hopefully like, you know, things think business will be picking up in March, I think. But that's, I sure hope so. Right. Now, what are the things you talked about? The solicitations for March and April, of course, DC puts theirs out a little bit sooner than everybody else. And we'll talk about some of the smatterings of stuff that have come out through Image and Marvel next week when the full solicitations are out. But one of the books uh, that popped up for DC is uh, an all-ages title of mm-hmm. Batman and Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, it's I guess it's going to be digital first. Okay. Um, I think they've done this before where it's essentially like, I think the previous Scooby-Doo team-up was like two stories in one book. Yes, they were all digital first. Right, so these will be digital first where it's like two and two, and then like two and two weekly, and then the print issue will come out after the two, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah, it's a weird setup because they did that with like uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, and they're doing it now with Harley Quinn, uh, what is it, Black, White, and Red, stuff like that. Right, and it's written by uh, Sholy Fish, who did the previous uh, Scooby-Doo stuff. Right. Uh, so, I don't know. This uh, looks like it could be fun. Right. I, I, I'll i probably check it out. I liked, I whenever I checked in on those Scooby-Doo's by Sholy Fish, they were amazing. They were absolutely, like, fun and, and, like, you know, lighthearted and, like, kind of the stuff that we're missing. So, 
I, I don't know. This this I may I, I probably pick up, but once again, it falls into the DCs like, hey, everything gets Batman, even Scooby Doo. Right. So this right. So this is one of those rare instances where uh, DC just is becoming the comic book company that p- prints out Batman comics. Everything is a Batman comic. You do Batman and Scooby Doo. I'm like, okay, I'll get this one. You know what I mean? Like, you're putting Batman everywhere else. I don't care, other than his own main book. Uh, not to say, isn't there a Tom Taylor Batman book coming out in April as well? There's a Tom Taylor mini that are, I'm pretty sure is coming out. Which okay. is go- which I'm not 100% sure because I read the, the solicits for it, is whether or not it's like mainstream. It's a older beat up version of Superman not quite you know the Dark Knight Returns but along like on the path maybe I don't know so I don't think it's set in our time uh, but it's still Tom Taylor I've been I'm enjoying his stuff it. you know yeah. and if it's a mini series which I wasn't sure that it was or wasn't um, it being a mini series makes it a little bit more easy to add to the list you know right I get you. <laughs> And I know we're getting a Robin book, too, so. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the Robin book. I'm all right. You know, because, like, the month before, we have a Joker ongoing that's written by Tinian. Right. And you got me with that one just because, you know, it's Tinian, and I've been enjoying his stuff. Right. I think it's Damian Wayne Robin, where I don't enjoy him by his lonesome. I enjoy him interplaying with other people, whether it be, like, the Young Justice people or Dick Grayson, or whomever else it is. I always equate it to him. He's like a knee-high guy gardener. Like, uh-huh. he's great. Like, he's the, the foil to play off everybody else. And so alone, he kind of doesn't work. But I was reading in Detective, where he the last where he was, where he's kind of, like, you know, like, not wearing the Robin mantle anymore. He's going to earn whatever he's going to do. And I'm like, I kind of like... This kind of like, ah, the heck with you, Batman. I'm going to go do my own thing because you kind of been holding me back. And I'm like, so I'm interested in this mini. But uh, I do think Robin works, uh, Damian Robin definitely works better in a group. Are you sure these books are mini series? Um, I don't know on the Robin one, but I'm pretty sure Tom Taylor was saying that the, 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 the Batman one that he's doing is a mini or a maxi. Like it's a limited number. But don't hold me to that because I don't know if you know this, Joe. I've been known to be wrong. So, uh, okay, so Robin and the Robin book is by Josh Williamson, who was doing The Flash before, eh? Right. Um, it, that looks like it's an ongoing, and you are right. The Tom Taylor one is a six-issue miniseries. Batten 500. There you go. I'll take it. <laughs> And then, like the so, so then, like the same month that the Robin book is coming out, they're doing a seven issue miniseries of Challenge of the Super Sons, which I guess is the continuation of that Super Sons book you enjoyed. Yes, which I'm interested in that one, but I want to read because I didn't get to read the solicit on that. I, I'm I'm more interested like that. Where does that take place? Because I didn't see any uh, covers or anything like that. So I'm like, is it Jonathan Kent as the teenager that he is now? Or is it back like we're going to do flashbacks and he's the kid? Because I loved that Super Sons book. But if it's going to be a young Damien and an old Jonathan, then I'm not Mm -hmm. not digging on that, if you know what I mean. I do. 
And then I'll say uh, uh, the American Vampire miniseries that was going on was originally solicited as a six-issue miniseries. Right. And now it's a ten-issue miniseries, which ain't ah. no miniseries no more. That's right. It, it, it got an extra issue and, f- and three more issues to, for yes. a better ending, Joe. I don't know. We'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, last but not least in the news section, though... Um, I was sad to see, of course, that this was only a one-shot, not an ongoing. As Todd mentioned, the 30th anniversary of a character that just screams, I'm from 1991, look at me, look at me. Mm -hmm. And that would be Darkhawk. I'll take 10. (laughs) Right, so Todd's I'll take 10... Uh, isn't that like some sort of play off the meme from Futurama? Uh, kind of. And it, but it's more of, remember when Homer was watching the movies and he was going to give up beer? Right. Beer here. Beer here. I'll, oh, this is so sad. Barney's life was ruined by drinking. I'll never drink again. Get your beer. I'll take 10. I use that all the time. And also in previewing the past, the guy who ordered 10 Darkhawks. So it all works out. Right. And that's and again, that was the one where we're looking through the preview of the past <laughs> and writing the solicitation for it. He just had a 10 drawn next to it. Yep. So they're they're touting this of saying, hey, the original creative team is going to be doing one of the three stories in this anniversary one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you held a gun to my head. I could have told you that the creative, the original creative team on Darkhawk was Danny Fingeroth and Mike Manley. Yeah, sounds like a manly group right there. Uh, but, you know, Dan Abnett's good. Kyle Higgins is good. Um, I don't know, but I don't care about Darkhawk by himself. I, I don't care about it, but the he appeared in some of that, like, uh, maybe not Annihilation, but the stuff that came after. So, like, uh, that's... King of Kings? No, King... Because there was there was Reign of Kings, wasn't there? Yeah, Reign of Kings. That's what it was. And there was, I think, there was another crossover in there somewhere. And he showed up in one of the like when they used to do those. And then there was like the little two part minis or the one shots. Darkhawk got one, and I was like, okay. Like I came back around. I was like reading them, but I'll pick this up. And I do believe because like it, it, with anything that if they're pushing Darkhawk now, even though it is his thirtieth anniversary, I could see him popping up in Jimmy Pistol's Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or something. You know what I mean? Like, as or one of the TV shows or anything. These days, these companies don't do anything in a vacuum. So, that or the, the copyright stuff. I don't know. Well, and so you say that, they just recently renewed the copyright on it. Oh, okay. Maybe they, And maybe they are going to do something. If they start buying up domains, then we know. Invent, I hope I have 10 Darkhawk number ones. Well, we looked, I think we looked it up on Preving the Past, and it's going for an all right sum. I think it was like 20 bucks an issue, right? Right, because right after that, they did mention a possibility of him showing up in a TV show or something. Yeah. So, so you know aren't they is. doing like, yeah, I, I think they're like, I'm sure at this point, uh, this is going to be the like the golden age, and I say golden age loosely, <laughs> of 1998, right. after the Blade movie hit. 
Yep. And Marvel sold off any and all of their properties to to the first bidder. <laughs> and only bidder. Right? The first yep. and only bidder. And I'll never forget, it was either, it had to be an issue of, like, Comics Journal or something, right? Where they went through all of the DC, or all of the Marvel properties. And you saw how everything got chopped up, right? Like, Sony had Spider-Man and Fox had X-Men and all in perpetuities, right? Right, and Fantastic Four. And... It, right, and the one that I'll never forget was Mort the Undead Teenager was on the list. Right, who, who, who drew the unlucky straw on that one? Right, but that's the thing, you know, we talked about it on previewing the past. Like, what was it, like 19, sometime in mid-1990, it was some weird indie book that ended up becoming the... Brendan Fraser, Chris Kattan film Monkey Bone. Right, right. So it was just a, a book hits, and then everything else that's close to it gets scooped up in the hopes that it becomes a hit as well. Right. And as you're saying, the golden age, I think we can call that era officially the chromium age. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Marvel was like coming out of bankruptcy or possibly still in bankruptcy. So they were trying to like make as much money as they could. Uh, but I, I could just see with the advent of Disney Plus and you just having that platform, it's like every character is going to be made into some sort of show or an appearance on a show mm -hmm. or a cartoon or an animated series or a something. So all of those first appearances of stuff are going to like just start going through the roof with some inflated uh, value to them. I can't wait until Sandman comes out on Netflix and then Disney Plus does uh, Sleepwalker so they can say they did Sandman right on streaming. I hope they get Robert Kirkman to film the wraparounds for Sleepwalker, but they don't like write new verbiage for them. He just recites verbatim the Todd McFarlane wraparounds from Spawn. <laughs> right. But he does. So this is meta at this point. Where it's Robert Kirkman reading verbatim the Todd McFarlane wraparounds from Spawn, but doing his impersonation of the Rob's impersonation of Todd McFarlane. I'd be in for that. Yeah, I'm all about that, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, so that's it for the news, right? Yeah, no more news. All right, uh, so in the show notes, of course, I say this a lot in the show notes, in the show notes, in the show notes. There's a lot of information in those show notes. Uh, firstly, uh, would be soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com. Uh, all the shows in the network and all of our friends that do shows, whether it be on this network or not, uh, anytime they do stuff, it shows up on soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com. This show, of course, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, At Odds with Wrestling, Wednesday Night War, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Final Wrestling Place, and Tim and Marcus from Final Wrestling Place are going to be doing a new show over on North-South Connection, which will get the cross-pollination over here as well, uh, called Viewer's Choice, where they're going to be reviewing the pay-per-views in the world of professional wrestling as they happen. Uh, that's debuting in about two weeks so if you enjoy Tim and Marcus on Final Wrestling Place, uh, they, they, they're they teasing that they're going to do something different than just your normal uh, bunch of guys talk about what happened in the pay-per-view, and they do uh, interesting and fun stuff there, so I'm sure they will do interesting and fun stuff on Viewer's Choice. 
Uh, you could also check out the page for our local comic shop. We mentioned them at the top of the show, Comics on the Green. They are doing a brisk business for mail order. If you do not have a comic book shop in your area, uh, I am biased, but I would say that they are probably the best around. How many years running have they won the best comic book shop in the area? I think all of them but one. I think Dave would be happy about this if I compared if I said that he was the Vince McMahon of comic book shops in northeastern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I think he would be both proud and frightened and proud again by that comparison. I once asked him, and he refused to answer. I said, "Which ones taste better, the ones when you had competition, or when the ones when you crushed all your competition?" And he didn't want to see. He, no comment was his answer. So okay. Uh, our good friend Becky does a lot of uh, original art, sketches and stuff. I saw that she was very happy that one of the Aliens uh, variant covers is going to be a black variant cover, which I guess she enjoys doing her sketches on uh, quite a bit there. Check out her Instagram for a lot of her original art. Uh, friends of the show, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt have their own books available digitally. Uh, Jupiter and Battle Monsters, respectively, over on Comixology. You can find out more information, like I said, in the show notes about that. And Rick Williams, of course, has the Chop Shop, where he does his cool resin figures, sci-fi, fantasy, wrestling, all sorts of cool things like that. Uh, Like I said, these are friends of the show. These are people that support us. We support them. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say... Nobody wants our seal of approval, because it's not worth the uh, tin paper that it's printed on. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if you take it, you got. If you want it, you got it. Right. You can wear it like some kind of badge. We won't say honor, just some kind of badge. Yeah. Right. Uh, digital sales this week uh, include such things as I got to go back to this week's uh, dynamite. Again, I, I look at you know I'm looking at a lot of things. You know, it's easy to get confused when you're an old man. You know. Right. Uh, Dynamite has sales on their Project Superheroes line, Vampirella, and fantasy stuff. Titan is having a sale on all of their Tank Girl stuff. Dark Horse is having a sale on all of their Matt Kint stuff. DC is having a sale on Vertigo stuff, and you can't go wrong there. Marvel is having sales on Dark Rain stuff, Maestro stuff, Hmm. and... Vision and Scarlet Witch stuff. I wonder why. I wonder why. And hey, you know, when stuff like that comes up, you know, you you really can't do wrong with swinging a dead cat and hitting anything in that Vertigo sale, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can get that Tom King Vision Maxi series. You can get all 12 issues for eight bucks. And you really can't, you really can't go wrong with that. But if you want, like, a little, like, outlier or something weird, you know, um, you can get the Avengers Icons Vision miniseries uh, written by Jeff Johns with art by Ivan Hayes. It's going to look good. Uh Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, uh, Johns didn't do a ton of work at Marvel, and uh, him and Ivan Hayes, I would say, had one of the better runs on a bunch of stuff, whether it be... Green Lantern, Blackest Night stuff, or Aquaman stuff, but I think this was probably the first thing that the, the first thing that they did together. I would have to say so because I don't remember him doing any of the Avengers. That was when uh, that would when when Jeff Johns poached uh, Scott Collins would be Avengers. I think. Uh huh. 
Yeah, he knew what he was doing. He could find he talent. He certainly did and does. So, uh, you know, all that stuff is available over there uh, at Comixology for sale, variety of days and so forth. Uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Mr. Todd. Uh, it was a light week for both of us. And the book that we both crossed over on was Immortal Hulk number 42, written by Al Ewing. Uh, with art by Joe Bennett and several others, because it was a bunch of little stories. Uh, essentially about how the Hulk has kind of affected a lot of different people in the current run of this book by Al Ewing. Yeah, because basically the Hulk, or Banner, is trapped in the below, in, in hell, whatever. So and these are the, the you know, the, the coke co-stars doing what they do. And my favorite part of this book is, like, that there's, like, basically... Uh, what three little stories? Two little stories because it's Jack McGee, uh, Jackie McGee, the the reporter. Uh, she's being fired from her, or moved from her job because the newspaper's taking a different tone. And I do like it, like because she's an investigative reporter, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna change up what you do." And you like lists, don't you? You could put lists together. She's like. <laughs> I was like, and it made me laugh because I'm like, that's where we are in like news and stuff like that on the internet and today. So that was great. And uh, Dr. McGowan meeting up with her and revealing stuff to, to Jackie of what's happened and, you know, certain things about uh, Jackie McGee herself. But my favorite part of this was on with uh, the Gamma team that hunts down the Hulk and uh, Guy Rich. I think he's like, he's an agent for the government who shows up and he was like a liaison for the Avengers back in the day and everything. And he's just a jerk. And he sits down, he just starts questioning things and he's asking everybody like, how could you mess up and, and lose the Hulk? And he's such a jerk, but a good jerk is fantastic. And like Samson puts him on the ropes doing something. And I was like, all right, this is all really, really cool. But like some of the stuff that he's doing to this gamma team, he's like, he's kind of like screwing them over. And he's like, well, I'll get a new team. And his new team, he just starts feeding lie, literally starts feeding lies to them because he's like, oh yeah, this is, this will happen. And if you do this, I promise I won't do that. Even though that's the lie that he told and broke to the original gamma team. So I'm hoping like Guy Rich gets his uh, comeuppance, but I hope not too soon, but I don't know how many more issues we have. I believe I think we've discussed, we probably have like eight more issues in Mortal Hulk as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you know, like we got to like issue, what was it like 40? Like it wasn't 40, it was like maybe like 30 or something. Mm -hmm. And it was like, is this the end? And there was a lot of just talk of like, is this the final issue? When's this going to end? But, you know, this kind of more so feels that it's coming to a more definitive end. But who knows, you know, maybe right. Ewing is going to decide like, no, I got five more issues in me past this or whatever. Right, right. Um, but of course, you know, you talked about, uh, the, I would say the main story. It's like the framing sequence of it. It's the beginning, the middle of the end of everything, which is the stuff with Henry Peter Gyrick. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say maybe the most despicable <laughs> non-superpowered character in the entire Marvel universe. Right, very sorry. I guess you know him a little better than I do. So, <laughs> Well, reading a lot of the older Avengers stuff and Avengers West Coast stuff from the mid to late 80s, but more so from the Jeff Johns run. Uh, not the Jeff Johns run, the Mark Wade run mm -hmm. on Avengers with the Heroes Return stuff, right? Right. Um... In Wade's run, he tried to make him a little bit sympathetic, like a little bit. Right. Like, I think he gave him, like, a sick kid or something. Oh, God. Um, 
but he just works best as a slippery, slimy government bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I remember even somebody telling me back in the day, like, which is like, I don't know if it would definitely fly like today when it was like, uh, you know, we need to team, like get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy, but like keep the Black Panther, you know, because it looks good kind of a deal. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, like, my God. And I always called them Guy Rich, but Guy Rick, I don't know. So I think I heard it pronounced that way, maybe on like the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes cartoon from. I'll, I will defer to, to you. 10 years ago. That was really good. Right. And I, I know watched... I've mentioned it on the show before, but if it, it's got to be on Disney Plus because everything's on Disney Plus, right? I was just looking. There's a bunch of Avengers cartoons on Disney Plus because I want to sit down and watch. I watched one or one or two episodes of one that was on Netflix, and then it got yanked, and I never finished it. But it was really good that I remember. It came right. It came out right after, I think, the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was only two seasons. Um, it was 2010, maybe. So maybe it was like a precursor to the movie. Maybe. Uh, it's really good. Um, they adapt a lot of uh, comic book stories. Mm-hmm. And like the a story that we've talked about here on the show, the Del Rusk storyline, they do that oh. as like a one episode or. I still face palm how dumb I was with that story. So you you have to imagine like here I am watching that and my kid is like not born maybe like maybe we're watching like and I'm watching I'm just like marking out you know while I'm watching it mm-hmm. that <laughs> because every- I know what's gonna happen and I don't want to tell anyone. Right, as you're watching it, and that regular everyday American name Del Rusk is just right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go check that out. And Immortal Hulk is great. I don't know what else to tell you. Is this a good jumping on point? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. But like I said, it was a light week for what we crossed over on, what we read, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So again, that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out. This week, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to everything that's coming out this week, where they get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you wait for them to be adapted into a cartoon, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out uh, this week. The current ongoing seven-year standings would be Todd at five, one, and one. Of course, me at one, five, and one. It's that one, that tie year. <sighs> Ties suck. So you you uh, started the show, sir, so you uh, go first here. I'm looking over. You have one more book than me this week. Um, is the book you're looking forward to most this week, King in Black, number three? It is King in Black number three, and I'm going to guess it's also yours as well. It is the book I'm looking forward to most. I've been really enjoying King in Black. Right. Um, the new number one for uh, Maestro War and Pax. Uh, could take you know, could take it or leave it. Is it a new number one? Is it just a continuation of the previous series? Yes to both. 
Uh, but King and Black, of course, being the stronger, I think, ongoing series, you know? Yes, I would admit if Hulk was as good as it was during Peter David at his, you know, at the height of his powers, it, then it would be, you know, definitely uh, Maestro. But it's King and Black. For sure. Um, so before we move on to the next leg, we have to enter in with the new thing that we brought back for 2021, and that is Todd and Joe have issues. I am reading the original uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray run of Jonah Hex. Todd is reading the Spider Clone Saga, not to be confused with the Clone Saga. Um, which one will end up being better, Todd, by the end? That's going to be a tough call. Place your bets in Vegas because I believe they do have a line on it. So Todd is going to kick things off reading the issues of the Spider Clone Saga that he had to read which was uh, Spider-Man number 51 and Spectacular Spider-Man 217, which is parts three and four of the power and responsibility uh, kickoff to the Spider-Clone saga. Yes. Um, and basically, uh, there's like a bunch of plot lines going on, but, you know, I'll kind of clump them together for two issues. Uh, just the one that's like offhanded I'll go is MJ is still on the plane going to meet her father and brother or sister i forget which one that was but she's gonna you know try and patch things up so that's where mary jane is at this time and she's you know i for i never knew that she, i knew she was a model for a while but i didn't know she was on a soap opera that some lady says like she ended up recognizing her that she was on this soap opera i was like oh okay i i never knew that that she was an actress that so. was from the t i guess the middle tail end of the mcfarland run of the book okay uh, again, Peter did like a, a photo book of her as a model, and then that got her uh, the soap opera gig, and then she had like a stalker who kidnapped her and stuff, which was like an ongoing B story around like the 310, 315s of Amazing Spider-Man. Right, right. Okay, so that just like gets that right out of the way. Well, since we last left, uh, Judas Traveler is taking over Raven Croft. I always want to say Ravenloft, but um, so and he has Peter trapped the spider while he's studying him, and he went and sent somebody to get Ben because he's like, oh, there's two of them. I could study two of them. So Ben is is deciding, you know, whether he should go or not. And this right here is the best part of the story. Um, is Ben at Aunt May's bed discussing like, hey. Uh, you know, like I, I kind of gave up this life and I laughed, but you're the only thing, you're the only real thing that I stick to of my fake memories. And this is, I, I want to say this is maybe where we learn his full name, Ben Riley. And it's like, all right, Ben for Uncle Ben and Riley for Aunt May's maiden name. And, you know, I know where this came from, so it was no surprise, like, years and years later. This is probably my favorite thing because it is, seems like the most natural thing for fake Peter to name himself. Like, it's a logical name. Like, he didn't come up with some, like, ridiculous, stupid, you know, name. It's like, I, I, I this totally works as a name, Ben Riley. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? Right, it's not like Max Power or something. Exactly, the name that you you know that you love or whatever. But so I really like that, and I love the stuff with him at Aunt May's bed. Is like that to me is like almost the heart of Spider Man. Like that, if I don't read him as much as you do, but that's the stuff I love. And in the end, he decides 
he's going to go because he's kept so memento. So he puts on Sp- a Spider-Man mask and gloves. That's his costume at this point. Yeah, so he, goes, he just had them laying around from some other time, let's say. Right, they were mementos, he says. So so he's basically in his, his jacket and shirt and pants, and he's got the Spider-Man mask and gloves on. So he goes, and at this point, Peter's like broken free with of Judas Traveler's thing. He's like, you know, you, you have all these parts of the villains that you fought in your mind. And that's when like Ben finally does show up. And... He, he, uh, Judas, once again, now they're talking about like, he has got a force field around and other characters are talking to him uh, where you said last week, his powers are very vague. He ends up like winking at them or something and they pass out spider, uh, Spider-Man and Ben. And I'm like, okay, I don't understand this, but he goes like this other guys, they're doing their thing. Watch them. And I want copious notes, which is, there's nothing more interesting than a supervillain who's taking notes. That's like, like whatever. So they end up waking up and they fight because he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're trying to take over my life, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I hate you. And then they end up having to team up because all the, 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 the nobodies in Ravencroft show up to fight them. And they're like, all right, we could take care of these. And I like in this that it shows that Ben has like, has, has like ring rust on him. He's like, oh, I'm not, this has been a long time since I, I did this. Um, so they end up, he's like, if we have to team up, Peter or we're never going to survive this. So Peter relents and they end up fighting them. They take them down. And then the, there's a couple of villains who show up like carnage and other things. And I'm going to save that, save this part for a little bit later. So they end up beating them. And at this point, Judas Traveler says like, Hey, go do that thing that I got. And this, and his henchwoman comes back with a letter, like literally a letter. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to see where this goes. They end up beating like Peter and, Ben beat like the, the super powered guys and they go and Judas Travis like, I have enough for now. We're going to leave. And that letter is going to save us. And in the end we find out that when they break in, uh, Oh, and they think Peter, uh, Ben dies from a car explosion chasing them. Um, but he doesn't, he apparently gets away. Uh, and they leave and the doctor Kafka is like, yeah, well, you know, that stupid Judas traveler, he betrayed, you know, he came in and ruined is like, no, no, no. There's a letter here on the floor that says he couldn't make it. So that mustn't have been him. So he's, it couldn't like that proves he's innocent. And I'm like, dumbest thing in here. Is that like a letter? Like, <laughs> proves, like that is the dumbest like alibi that I've ever heard. And I'm like, it was okay. postmarked a week prior there though. Todd. Oh, just so smart of Judas traveler. So just, he's a genius. But uh, they end up leaving and somebody put all the villains back in their cells. Like, it's really weird and vague. And I don't know if it's going to come up later because they're even like, oh, it's we're, we're OK. And like somebody did this. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. But my favorite part of the issue, Joe, is the triumphant, you know, uh, first appearance of Wild Whip. And Wild Whip shows up. And you think, okay, he's in Ravencroft, uh, Ravencroft, so he must be Peter's villain. No, no, no. He's Ben's villain, Joe. And in it, they're like, he's like, uh, Peter, watch out. And I keep saying using his shoot name because Ben wasn't using his shoot name. He's like, Spider, watch yeah, out. Yeah. This guy's got, he's got a whip with electric. Now, where did he get it? Did he, did he have it in the cell with him? Like, Carnage makes sense because he can't lose his symbiote. They have to suppress it. But I'm like, Wild Whip just... Ha- just in his, you know, fatigues that he's in in his, you know, that he's wearing as a prisoner, just happens to have his electrical whip. I'm like, where did he get that? And then Ben's like, yeah, 
I kind of know him. He's like, yes, I know him and not you. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you know him, he's just wearing a Spider-Man mask with gloves and everyday clothes. Shouldn't you just go, hey, there's two Spider-Man, one kind of like Spider-Man and casual Friday Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm just laughing. And then I'm like, okay. So Ben's like, yeah, I have this, you know, this, this villain that I had. Cause I did do a little heroing on the side when nobody was looking. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I have to look this up. Cause I've never heard with Spider-Man and his amazing rogues gallery. I've never heard of wild whip. I must look and see how many appearances he's made <laughs> in the history of Spider-Man comics. Joe, you want to guess how many appearances he's made in Spider-Man comics? Uh, well, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to guess and say this was his own. Okay. I'm going to say two this. And then maybe like he appears somewhere else to be a nameless, faceless person that gets killed just so we have, like, some gravitas and, like, a Punisher kills the Marvel Universe type thing. You know what? If you were bet a betting man, you would have won the jackpot. Not counting the Marvel encyclopedias, which I don't count because those are just, you know, like, appearances and facts about them. He appeared in this issue that I read, Spectacular Spider-Man 217, and then he appeared in a Ravencroft one-issue miniseries last year, Joe. <laughs> I looked it up, and I didn't read it because I didn't have the issue I should have in all of this to see if he's, like, a major player or he just, like, he walks by in the background with his, with his whip that doesn't get cut up by Spider-Man. You know, so I'm just laughing. I'm like, they set all this up like backstory. And I'm like, I shouldn't have peeked ahead, but it would have made this up. This uh, Todd and Joe have issues much, you know, not as exciting as or interesting as this finding out that wild whip one and never seen again. And I just think that's so ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I until I read this, I had no memory that wild whip was a thing. Um, I wish they retcon some like old storylines of like, oh, we're doing a reprint of something or like here's an annual or a something and we're going to throw in an old classic Wild Whip adventure taken on Ben <laughs> Riley, you know? Right. Because I figured at some point, like when these books split off and it gets over bloated, that somebody would have been like, give me a Ben Riley, like in the past story and fighting what, like you set all this up for nothing. And like I said, it's ridiculous in the fact that he recognizes Ben, but not Peter. Uh -huh. Like, I'm like, all right, you're in an insane asylum. So I'll let it slide a little bit, but woof. That's like, I'm like, I don't know. I think we're starting to, it it's starting to get a little pungent in the Clone Saga already, Joe. So I'm not going to say that I'm in defense of the Clone Saga at this point, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I'm not even going to say as a Clone Saga understander. Right. Uh, but I'm, a I'm definitely a Clone Saga apologist. I can imagine you reading this today or someone reading this back then. It certainly feels as though they're building up some sort of rich tapestry of history for Ben Riley, mm -hmm. and I do want to say that they do, um, uh, they do have at least a mini series where it's like a Ben Riley lost adventure, mm -hmm. and that would have been a great spot to throw Wild Whip in there, but I they told... don't. They don't. Mm -hmm. They throw someone else in there who we haven't met yet, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and somebody. Then... Better than Wild Whip? Or on um, Maybe. 
Let's just okay. say that. It'll be interesting to see how you feel uh, regarding this character. Okay. Let's just say he ends up having a little bit more lasting power and makes a few more appearances than Wild Whip. <laughs> okay. Um, but then you have the whole thing of Judas Traveler, okay? Mm-hmm. So Which he I... has all of these people. What, what does he call his crew? They're like the, the, not the Horde. They're called the something. I forget because it was trying to, like there was Boone and Medea and like Scriber. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, they're just nameless 90s villains, as far as I'm right. concerned. There's nothing special about his group. I Trench coats, sunglasses. I don't want you to go and search out, like, their other appearances and stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'll only say that a majority of them you'll probably find maybe, like, less than... Like, if they break 10 appearances, it's going to be lucky. Right. Um, but there's at least two in the group that maybe have a couple, two, three more than that. Right. And I'm afraid Which, that it might tip the hand of where the story might be going. Okay. No, I literally, when we started doing this and I read Judas Traveler, I'm like, this name sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know anything about the character. I just looked up that he looks like that. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this is definitely his look. And then I stayed away. And especially after you said like, oh, like his powers seem very vague, right? I'm like, all right, Joe might be hinting something. He might not. I'm going to stay away from it. But Wild Whip, there was just something I was like, I have never. And so I had, there was something that attracted me to Wild Whip that I had to look into. I'm not going to go digging any deeper on any other characters after this. Okay. Oh, and the other question I do have for you at this is, I didn't realize that the orderly at Ravencroft, Ravencroft was vermin? Yeah, that's that was one that they just kind of brushed by. It's like, oh, it's vermin, uh, who was just recently a key player in Maximum Carnage. Okay. And it's just like, oh, well, you're okay because you're one of the people that is a Spider-Man villain like Vermin or the Lizard that, like, you drank a potion or someone poisoned you where, like, you're un- – like, you don't want to be evil. You're trying hard not to be evil, but you have this thing inside you that makes you evil. Mm-hmm. So, like, we'll try to help you and you can kind of, like, work things off since you are good at heart. You know, you're still going to have to be here, but you're going to have to be an orderly – and it's like Judas Traveler discovers this, snaps his fingers and turns him into vermin, then snaps his fingers again and teleports him out of Ravencroft where he's transformed back into his human form. Exactly. I didn't touch on that in the last issue, but it's like, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And I don't know. So like, I go ahead. Super powerful, has mind control abilities, teleporting abilities, but his most crucial ability that he has is mail fraud. Don't forget about having a guy to take notes for him. The best notes since Buddy Blank's notes in Countdown to, you know, Final Crisis. Oh, my uh-huh. goodness. Just because, like I said, there's nothing better than notes in comics. Now, I will say this. I think we don't see Traveler and his crew for at least a couple weeks in what we're going to be reading. Okay. Now, I may ask in this, if this tips anything, let me know. Do... Is this the point where the book starts shifting off into Peter stories and Ben stories? Like they, or is that later? Yes. Yeah. Now it is. So it's right. So the next couple months, it's like, um, 
it goes like, and we'll we'll we're how we're gonna read the, like I think how I have it read. We're not gonna read all of them like that because there's a couple of just like, oh, here's how you know Peter is dealing with whatever. I'm I'm just trying to get to you like the main plot points, the main I gotcha. through fares of it. But yeah, so for the next couple months in the actual publishing storyline, it's two of the Spider-Man books are Ben books, and two of the uh, books are Peter books. Right. And so they... the next two weeks are going to be those, right? Okay. And then if I'm looking at the list correctly, and if you and like if you ask me, I'll send you the list of everything, so you have an idea if you want to read ahead for some reason. Mm-hmm. By all means, you know. Right. I won't. <laughs> so it's kind of like we do this. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to use Web of Spider-Man as kind of our like linchpin of this. Right, the anchor of the because that was like that was the book that came out like that was like always number one in whatever the story arc was at least for now, right? Mm-hmm. So like next week we have Web of Spider-Man eighteen and then Spider-Man Unlimited number seven, which is an annual. Okay, so that kind of throws off the schedule a bit, right? Um, so Web of Spider-Man eighteen, Web of Spider-Man nineteen, Web of Spider-Man twenty or one twenty one twenty one. And then I think we do like 122, 123, but there's a lot of skipping around, right? Mm-hmm. You'll you'll see the list and you'll see. But like Web of Spider-Man actually is like strangely like the more important book than anything else. Right. Okay, um, I was just curious because I vaguely remember it kind of being like the death of Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Where they had the different books where the different characters, but they had four instead of two. Right, so the, again, Clone Saga tries to be all things to all previous storylines that came before it, and we'll see how it all kind of shakes out in the end, you know? Right, I think it's all going to end well. For some of us. hmm So, you know, Jonah Hex is a little bit easier, right? Yep, two issues of shooting them ups Yeah, Jonah Hex issue three is, uh, there's a band of, uh, you know, bad guys that are Robin Wagon coaches and blaming it on the native folk. Right. And there's a lot of derogatory terms used for the Native American Indian folk mm-hmm. that I had never heard in my life before I read these issues of Jonah Hex. Right, but never by Jonah. Right, never by Jonah, because he's part Apache, ain't he? That's going to come up. There's rumors that he was raised by Apaches. That's what we're getting. Like, in the in the volume one, they covered this, but because we're doing volume two and it's kind of Jimmy Palmy eyes, which never contradicts anything, and they bring up a lot of the... They only change a couple of things. Um, the rumor has that he's been brought up by Indians at some point in his life. So uh, there is a man and his wife who kind of survive everything. They're begging, like, no, no, please let us live. Jonah shows up, gets the jump on all these guys, and is like, okay, I'm going to bring them into the next town with and give these wagon train folks, like, safe passage, if you will. Well, it just so happens, wouldn't you know who won the pony, the town that they bring them to, the sheriff is the older brother of the guy who was trying to run this, right? hmm So in a classic old-timey villain sort of thing, uh, instead of just killing Jonah straight up and ending <laughs> it with issue three... They throw him in a box and then throw him down the rapids. Right. Which is, and, I mean, go ahead, sorry. I was gonna, go ahead, go ahead. 
I'm going to say, which is, you're going to find out, because I don't know if you're going to like it or it's going to drive you crazy. There's a lot of ways of getting Jonah out of, like, situations and to come back. And they're really ridiculous, but they're, like, like if you just shoot them, the book's over. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, whatever. It's no it's no more, like, le- or less soap opera than a superhero comic, as far as I'm concerned. But because it's a more realistic situation, you're like, just put one behind his ear and you're you're good to go. But their kind of thing is like, oh, we'll t- kind of torture him, throw him in the box, send him down the river, and we kind of got rid of the body. You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to say, oh, like, we murdered him and blah, blah, blah. So that's my take on it anyway. So Jonah gets to the bottom of the rapids, he survives, and he's met by... Bartholomew Aloysius Lash, mm-hmm. better known as the great great grandfather of Wild Whip. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> no, no, Batlash, which is one of the many DC Western characters that I don't know how they acquire. Like I think they're DC creations. I just want to assume that they're all public domain. You know? Uh, no, they're this is owned by. You know who created? Batlash was one of the creators you might find interesting. Hmm. Sergio Argonis. Oh, get out of here. That's pretty cool. Right. So basically, I'm just going to read this real quick. It's like two quick paragraphs. on. Uh, it's on Wikipedia, the most, you know, reliable source of DC Western comics. Uh, it's He was in 68. He was created by Carmine Infantino, who was in editorial director of DC Comics. And his editor, Joe Orlando, came up with the name and basic premise of the loner whose family had been wiped out by murderous thugs and then brought in uh, Sheldon Mayer, former DC editor and creator of Sugar and Spike, and Sergio Argonis to further flesh out the the concept. Mayer wrote the first appearance, and Fantino claimed that he had greatly rewritten it. The assignment was then handed to Argonis, with Denny O'Neill doing dialogue over Argonis' plots and Nick Cardi providing art. Issues were produced in a variation of full script method. First, Argonis would create a plot in thumbnail sketch form, and then O'Neill would write the dialogue, and Cardi would finish the art. I only read all that because I figured if Sergio Argonis was involved in any way, he might have drawn it. But the fact that he was doing plots and everything just blows my mind because he's known for Gru. You know what I mean? Just right. Uh, so I, I am a, a fan of Batlash. I haven't really read a lot other than the Jonah Hex stuff, but I like Batlash. His last name sounds fake, though. You can't trust anybody with a last name like that. But go so, ahead. So uh, Batlash is like, hey, I'll be your partner. We'll go in and I'll help you get revenge on the, the folks that done this to you, right? Mm-hmm. So they go back to the and Jonah's like, oh, you know, I don't need no partner. I don't like nobody. I don't have no friends, no nothing like that. Uh, but he makes a consideration. Uh, they go back to the town. Um, we find out that a lot of people make all sorts of rude remarks to Batlash because he has a flower in his hat. He's a dandy. Mm, he's a dandy. So the whole thing was just a ruse to get the sheriff and his men out of the police station so Jonah can go in there and get the drop on them and, uh, you know, kind of turn the sheriff over to the Apache for his brother running their name through the mud. Yep. He, it's a bounty. It's just not the bounty that you would think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I did like the little twist at the end. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, his mon- their money is just as good as anybody else's. Like, and I mentioned it last week, uh, and you had said to me, it's like, oh, there's a book that did not have the comics code thing on here. Mm-hmm. But for a non-mature readers on the title, on the on the cover, non-vertigo book, a lot of blood letting, a lot of swearing, 
you know, use of, eh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, some color, not swears, but colorful language, uh, scalping and all sorts of things like that. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting, it was an interesting book at its time, especially. Right. And I will say in this issue, particularly, um, Luke Ross, uh, drawing Jonah a little less like Clint Eastwood than in the first two issues. Still drawing them like that, but a little bit less. Right. So I like the art just a smidge less, these issues. So next issue, issue four, uh, Jonah, again, is being, at least as far as we can tell, is being hunted by some men, but it appears as though uh, these folks that are after uh, Jonah are after who he is bringing back to town because there's a man with a bounty on him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mosquito? Chaco? Chaco Jones, a.k.a. the Mosquito. Okay. And uh, Chaco Jones is trying to sweet-talk Jonah Hex to let him go, and none of that really works. Uh, brings him back to town, and the mayor's like, oh, thank you very much for bringing him back, but, uh, hey, you know, the banks are closed, I really can't pay you right now, you want to stay the night, uh, and I'll pay you tomorrow morning, and Jonah's like, you're the mayor, go open up the bank right now, right? <laughs> yep. And his thankfully mute daughter comes over and, like, hits Jonah and spits in his face and all this other jazz, you know, Mm-hmm. And apparently this is the point where we definitively learn the reason that there was a bounty out on Chaco's head is because he had assaulted this young lady, right? Defiled, yes, was the word they had used. Yes, yes. This book could use those words, but not this show uh, oh, uses sorry. those words, right? Mm-hmm. We are judged by the Comics Code Authority. Mm-hmm. So Jonah's like, all right, I'm staying in town. I'm going to go kill some time at the bar. The young lady comes in and hands him a note that essentially says that Chaco is innocent. Uh, I helped him escape by you bringing him back here. You essentially have killed him. Yep. Um, So it turns out that it was not Chaco who assaulted and accosted this woman. It was the mayor. The mayor pins this on Chaco, of course, since he is, you know, Mexican, and that was the time. You know, this is the 1800s or whatever, and it's not my job to issue a hierarchy of how they considered people in those days. But I think if you're a free-thinking person of the year 2021, you can kind of sort of figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they lock the girl up. Jonah and Chaco are now going to be hanged. Uh, for what they have done, and of course to silence them, because of course the mayor is the one who did this. The girl, uh, Maylene, I think her name was, mm-hmm. she broke out with a hairpin, which is always a great gimmick, you know? <laughs> yep. Uh, and then she writes in the dirt that the mayor, who I forgot was her father as well, so it's like a double, uh, you know, yes, whatever. Yes, it's yeah, double disgusting, yes. Yes, and I will say this, uh, at least at this point, the townsfolk were ahead of the speaking out movement because they believed the victim. Yes. Uh, Where previously, because she did not talk, and the mayor just says, like, oh, this other person did it, and then she comes out and she can't speak for herself, but obviously with everything that's going on, uh, she is able to pinpoint that it was her father slash the mayor who did this, Mm -hmm. and uh, he's the one who gets a hanging instead. Yep. And, you know, I think maybe Chaco Jones might be somebody who comes back. Oh, and I see. I always like to try to guess to see who would be the people that come back. 
Uh, I knew it wouldn't have been the girl. I assumed Batlash would come back as Warner owns the IP. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I enjoyed Chaco. He was like a uh, slick talking, uh, what have you, right? Yes, it's because he's like the other half. Like he's he's a comic foil to to Jonah, where Jonah doesn't talk much unless you know it's his guns that's doing the speaking. And then Chaco's just like bothering him, and it's like kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like a, like comedy relief, whatever. I do. I like Chaco a lot, and I do. And like you know the page where. Uh, he's in the hut at the beginning and Chaco comes out uh, out of that trap door and Jonah's just standing with all the dead bodies. Every once in a while, I get close to pulling the trigger on that page just because I love it so much. I, be- I do believe Lou Gross's dealer still has that page and I'm like, oh, when I got some extra shekels in my pocket, Joe. Well, listen, you know, uh, I, don't know, I, I, don't know I don't know how you enable the enabler. Mm-hmm. Do I need to get you a mirror? Yes, yes. I use mirrors for other things. Looking at how handsome I am is what I mean. <laughs> uh, but no, I've been enjoy- you know it's Jonah Hex. Um, it's I I don't want to say it's the same story because it's not. You know, it's very easy that it could fall into being the same story issue in and issue out, but it's not. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're four issues in, of course. Things are being established. As you mentioned, Chaco is going to come back. I'm sure there will other characters come back. There's probably characters that I've, I know from mm-hmm. reading All-Star Western that are going to show up here. Uh, obviously, reading this not in the correct reading order is going to yeah, not confuse things, but I'm enjoying what I'm reading so far. What do you mean the not correct reading order? So I, I should have read Jonah Hex first and then All-Star Western. Right, but you weren't you. You came around on Jimmy Palmiotti when he did the "I'll put whatever number on your comic that you want." Yeah, and so I probably I don't know if we had talked. I probably tried to get you to read Jonah Hex, but I don't know if that was your bag. So yeah, you like literally like that's all. Uh, the these stories. I don't know if I, I mentioned this before. Like they may at some point start taking place out of order because it's literally whatever year they want. Like. Like, I do believe at one point towards the end of the run, we may have seen the last of a character, but we'll see an earlier appearance, if that makes any sense, yeah, as the yeah. book goes on. Because he's just like, I could I could write these stories, because for the most part, other than two-parters and the one six-parters, he's like, all right, here's a story closer to, you know, J- Jonah's met this character. So it's all over the place. You'll see. But anyway, in case I'm repeating myself, I'll, I'll stop. Nope, you're good. So, uh... Go check out the previews that we put up every that I put up every Thursday of what we will be reading uh, for the following week on Todd and Joe Have Issues 2021 edition. Go check out the 2017 edition. Go check out my bi-weekly write-ups, Rob Sir Recaps, as I listen to Rob Liefeld's podcast and just report facts. That's all yes. I do. So you don't have to, you know, I recommend you listen to Rob's podcast. But, uh, you know, if you don't, I think there's uh, gems to be found in them that are hills, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, be sure to check out our store. We could buy shirts and pins and stickers with all of our fancy logos on them. Head over to our Tee Public store next week, because that's when the sale is, to get our fancy logo on a bunch more stuff than just shirts or pins and stickers. Get stuff inspired by After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling Place, and Add Odds with Wrestling over at our Tee Public store. Uh, sign up for our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can get two bonus shows 
uh, from Todd and I. I know a lot of people are just not having the time to listen to podcasts these days. A lot of people may be uh, having different working situations, might be from home, and your small infant child doesn't want to hear Todd extol the virtues of how great Dick Tracy movie is. Oh. <laughs> or hear us or hear us talk about the smut that is just pouring through the pages of previews 30 years ago this month <laughs> uh, but like i said if you do have that sort of time on your hands for as little as a dollar a month you can get those two uh bonus podcasts from todd and i five dollars a month you get those two episodes two weeks before everyone else plus you get after dark about three days before everyone else uh, you could also help us out, support us by making any of all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through, which is at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah, that I'm going to earmark for that page from this uh, issue of Jonah Hex when he gets <laughs> his next cut of that money. Ooh, yeah, don't give me any of it. Just hold it till it's enough to buy the page. Oh, you have to tell me how much the page is. I'll send you a link. All right. Uh, some of the notable purchases that the Amazon click-through this past week include... Somebody purchased the most recent uh, John Constantine Hellblazer miniseries collected in trade. Marks of Woe is what they ended up calling it. Right, I'm not sure on the new stuff trade names, you know. Uh, somebody also purchased Fancy, an ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry through Amazon Music. Hmm. Uh, somebody also purchased Mario 3D All-Stars for the Nintendo Switch. That's a fun game. I like all the... There, I don't think there's a bad Super Mario game out there. That's a powerful statement. I think they're all good. I don't count Mario as missing because that's like a Luigi game and it was for the Philips CDI. Uh, <laughs> I think they might have ported it over to the SNES. But I don't think there's a bad Super Mario game. Hmm, okay. Uh, tweet at me if you think there's a bad one, and I'll, I'll 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 defend my statement. You're a Super Mario understander. Yes. Okay. I'm, a, I'm an appreciator. I'm an understander. I'm an apologist. Gotcha. Uh, somebody also purchased the Lego Minecraft set called the Bee Farm. Oh. Uh, somebody also purchased two Doctor Who action figures. One of Clara. Right. And one is Amy Pond in a police outfit. She was in a police outfit because in her early appearances, she was in a, she had a job as a kissagram because it's a children's show. show. Mm. No, she was a kid, but man, oh man, Amy Pond in the, in the police outfit went well with Rory and his gladiatoria, a gladiator outfit. So a Roman centurion outfit, lots of, lots of weird stuff going on in the bedroom of the TARDIS after they got married. Mm -hmm. Now, somebody also purchased a day ma Halloween cosplay kid costumes, child, little beetle suit. Okay. Now, the reason I say this in all these sort of ways, so the suit claims that it's a little beetle, but when you actually click on what the item is, it's actually a ladybug costume. Oh, I thought it was going to be like Mach 4 from the Thunderbolts. No. <laughs> like before I wish, he... I, I wish there was an adult Mach 4 <laughs> costume, because I would just wear it day to day around the house. There's your Mach 4 before his face turn costume. 
Oh, so thank you to anyone and everyone who purchased anything from our Amazon click-through this week, last week, and I forgot to mention those, of course. We add something new and we forget something. That's the way my mind works. You know, as I told from The Simpsons about the time that I took that homemade winemaking course and I forgot how to drive. <laughs> That's right. Add something new and the wheels fall off this train, Joe. <laughs> but I'm going to be more concerted, of course, to make sure we hit all the points on the show. Just like Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did. We had two from Rebecca's art, a pixie and a frog work in progress by Rebecca, which uh, this one I really like because I like the cult. Like she hasn't done all the coloring to it yet, but the coloring from the face into the green hair with the different shades of green hair is absolutely fantastic. And then the frog that she is carrying is in an over a comically oversized set of overalls with, it looks like the frog is sick because it has a thermometer in its mouth. Um, all around. I just like the whole setup of this piece of the frog just riding around in the overalls. That's that's, I, I, I just find that funny, you know? Yep. I I used to mention about the head is fully colored in, of course, the shading of the green there. That's something that I could never do. Um, When I do my coloring, I try and I think I do it. And then I look at my finished process and I'm like, I'm not an artist. But I will say the part that I like the most, and I think it's mostly just from the paper that Rebecca is using, is the light shading on the rest of the character's body. Right, it's like, I don't want, I like, bumpy paper. I don't know what the textured paper. I don't know sure. what the name of it would be, so. But it really makes, that, like, the coloring pop, you know what I mean? Absolutely, good stuff as always. Yep, and also, during the show, uh, T-Bolt712, someone you want to rob, wrote in, Hey, Todd's Art Attack, to celebrate today's news about the Muppet Show, See After Dark. Um, here's two sketches by... Amy Meberson, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the Swedish chef and Kermit. Very uh, Muppet-sational. But yes, anytime you have Muppet stuff, I will give two giant big thumbs up. And I know uh, T-Bolt is a huge Swedish chef fan, so uh, good for you, man. Good stuff. The... I would have loved to seen how Amy did the Swedish chef's hair and mustache. Yes, the eyebrows, and yes, that's... Yes. I just, I it just looks so cool and funky, you know? Some sort, and I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, jokey here, some sort of brush dab, I would guess. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That looks, like, a lot like it's, like, ah, plop the... Like, not like I couldn't do it. Let's put it that way. But I don't think there's a lot of, uh, you know, finesse to doing that. But it works. So, mm-hmm. But good stuff. 2012 and 2000, 2012, it looks like. So, it, they... Uh, T-Bolts knew that it was coming So Muppet Muppets forever Joe For life I'm sorry I did it wrong but. So I think that's everything from the main show Right? We yes. I didn't forget anything this week Nope I, I, Well don't forget you I forgot too So I can't think of anything else Okay So uh, This is going to end this part of the show um, Episode 538 Longbox Heroes, because we're going to get into some spoiler-filled discussion of episodes one and two of WandaVision. So if you didn't watch them, you don't want it spoiled on you, or you don't care, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week, and I'll take a pause so I can take a drinky-poo and uh, mm-hmm. get down to business here talking about this. I got notes. 
my handwriting has gotten horrible over these last several years. I don't even want to talk about my handwriting. I can't take notes to save my life. That's why these note apps help me sometimes. I like having a pen and paper. I get you, but it's also, I do like the fact that as my eyes are getting shot, I can, uh, you know, enlarge the, the, the font on the, the, the tablet. So, so let's say, um, how do you want to tackle this? You want to go episode by episode? You want to just kind of do a blanket statement, save our blanket statement for the end? How do you want to do this? I kind of want to do it episode by episode because the first one intrigues me of the look and stuff and stuff that I had read about the first episode. Okay. So it's Wanda. It's the Scarlet Witch. It's Vision. Vic Sage? Victor Stone? What's his uh, shoot name? They just call him Vision. Right. They call him Vision in the show, but I know the comics when he would become like human, uh, he would... uh, I think the name you you just used though was Cyborg. So it was Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I think don't know what... Vision has a shoot name. All right, I'll look it up while you're talking. So, um this is a 50s sitcom, the first episode. Right. Uh right down to the gimmick where they walk through the front door and by walk through, I mean Vision phases through the front door. Leaves Wanda outside, opens the door back up to carry her across the threshold, and the ottoman is there, not unlike Dick Van Dyke would do something different, trip over, avoid, or whatever, at the beginning of the Dick Van Dyke show, but Vision just phases right through it. Victor Shade, by the way. Victor Shade. I knew it was something, right? right. I, I, I'd like, I'd Vic, or Victor, or Vince, or Vic Venom, I don't know. Right. But let's stop right here, because you mentioned this. Dick Van Dyke. The Dick Van Dyke show, they just stole the set for Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Go watch it on Dick Van Dyke. It had the kitchen with the with the doors that would open with the counter and the way the couches were set up and the ottoman and the door with the step. Like you said, he would trip over it every week. And they brought in Dick Van Dyke to, to consult on this episode to do 50s comedy. <sighs> They see, I, didn't dig, I didn't dig that deep into it, but bless you for doing so. Right. So basically he, they, they, and people kind of asked him and he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, so what was the, 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 the gist of what you're doing? And he said, the gist of everything that we did on the Dick Van Dyke show was if it couldn't happen in real life, the plot now you couldn't, we didn't want anything to do with it. There was no like, you know, strangeness. And he goes, and in the end, like they, they try to take out like obviously the coming through the door and something's up with there in this fifties comedy, but the story that they did where vision gets a new job and he doesn't understand what they do. All everything that's normal in that is kind of like, like, I don't know how much Dick Van Dyke helped with it, but like it was because of what the road he told them to go on. And I'm going to jump ahead to episode two because the house completely changes for episode two. Yes. So, but then they kind of go to Bewitched for episode two, but we'll get to that in a minute. But so I just find it fascinating that they brought in Dick Van Dyke, who does have a history with Disney, man. So, you know, it was probably, they still had him on retainer. I hope that that gets um, Dick Van Dyke a cameo or at least a speaking role in an upcoming Marvel film, just for a paycheck. 
I bet you they threw him a ton of money too, just as a as a make good, not a make good, but like you know, as hey, you were in a what was the movie he was in? The famous one for Disney. My brain, Mary is, Poppins. Mary Poppins. So, so I'll say it's one thing to get uh, a nice consulting fee, but it's a nice thing to get a royalty check from Avengers Six. That is true. <laughs> that is true. But I just want to say. Um, not trying to be morbid or anything. Get how many that. royalty checks is he getting? Right. Get on that. Because do you know how old Dick Van Dyke is? He's 90-something or other. 95 years old. I was going to say 97. Um, so I, I kind of hope that he makes an appearance in WandaVision as something. But uh, just because he, he consulted. But it's also hard to to get. Like, I know we're not even on the TV show yet. But to... To uh, to get him to come and do an appearance with everything going on, you know, what I mean, like you don't want Dick Van Dyke out in the out in the world. Like I don't know how they brought him in, whether it was a Zoom meeting or whatever for that, you know. But then again, this might have started uh, writing before COVID, right? Or at least filming or something, right? Well, his thing—he was probably there before they even filmed the announce because it was the the, the first episode. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So I just so, thought you might find that interesting. I did. That was very interesting. I didn't, like I said, I didn't dig that deep into it. You know, I'm glad some one of us did. Yeah. Occasionally, I'm worth my salt. But so again, it's a '50s sitcom. It just happens to have two superpowered characters in it. They're fish out of water. They're doing their best to hide their abilities and fit in, and that's the whole premise of everything: is to fit in. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they look at the calendar and they see that above today is a heart. <laughs> yep. And they can't figure out why. And they're both trying to figure out why there's a heart above today's date. Well, we'll worry about it later. The vision goes off to work at his job, which is computing solutions. Yes, yeah, something. Even he doesn't know. I'll, uh, and you know. nobody could really explain what it is either. Mm-hmm. So while he's off to work, Agnes, the nosy neighbor, comes over. And she helps Wanda figure out that this day must be their anniversary. Mm -hmm. And she gives Wanda some pointers and some advice of what to do for a man for their anniversary in the 50s. Mm -hmm. But at work, the Vision figures out that the reason there's a heart on the calendar was (laughs) in my absolute favorite trope from sitcoms is you're bringing your boss home to work for dinner. From work mm-hmm. to prepare him dinner. And, and we have to... the establishing thing that the previous employee that he came over, it was only a five-course meal, and he's being fired from the computing solutions job. Yes. Everything must go right when you bring the boss home to dinner. Nothing can go wrong. Right. Can't make a souffle that falls flat or anything else like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So Vision calls home to give Wanda the heads up that it's the boss coming home for dinner. But Wanda cuts him off of saying, no, no, I know what it is. And Todd, wouldn't you know it, this married couple has a misunderstanding. A miscommunication in a sitcom? How original. (laughs) That leads to a hilarious situation. Right, right. So the boss comes in and Wanda is in her, I would say, frilliest 50s lingerie. Right, right. And she has a candle lit. And a single solitary chocolate-covered strawberry. <laughs> Which is fantastic. That's going to be split four ways later, Joe. But anyway. 
So Vision is doing his best to distract things. Agnes comes over and she is, and because of course, what 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 wife worth her salt doesn't have a five course meal ready to go at the drop of a hat? Right. So in the attempts to speed things up, Wanda is using her magic. The ch- the chicken gets overdone, so she tries to reverse it back, and it becomes eggs. Uh, don't forget about the lobsters. Lobsters fly out the window. The lobsters fly out the window. So they decide to have breakfast for dinner. And this is where things take a turn. I just got oh, did I mention during the course of this, Todd? There's a commercial for the Toastmate 2000 from Stark yep. Industries. Right. Which is a very ominous commercial. And I, fig- I think I figured out why, but go ahead. Okay, very ominous. Very interesting. Very odd that it's thrown in there. Okay, because so, I'm going to mention... Uh, go, ahead, go, ahead, go, ahead. go do it now. And I'm going to mention because there's a commercial in the second episode, too. So I'm going to kind of... what The only reason... What? That one's a little bit more ominous. Right, but it's... It's all things that relate to Wanda's life. They're, so they have the Stark Toastmaker 2000 that's sitting there beeping. And like you're like, what's it going to do? Like, is it going to explode? Is that what you were thinking kind of a deal? Or like something weird is going to happen. It's because of the fact that when Wanda and and her brother uh, Quicksilver were kids, their origin story was one of Tony Stark's weapons dropped on our house in Sokovia and killed our parents. And while we were stuck in the rubble, another one landed. And we had to wait two days while... Uh, we were we, somebody to come and help. And every moment we were sitting there staring at that thing that said Tony Stark on the side, whether or not it was going to explode and kill us like our parents. And then the second one is the Strucker watch, which is Strucker created them using the whatever. So I do believe as if they do more commercials, they're all going to be to Wanda's past. I don't know if that, you know, if that's a, like makes any sense to you, but that's my take on what's going on with those commercials. I I like your uh, theory. Okay, but yeah, I, so we. I to... was I, I I'm just like, oh, these are going to be something. I don't have enough information to formulate an opinion on them. Right, I didn't have it in the first one. In the second one, it kind of seemed to fall into. Now, whether or not I'm right, we'll see. Okay. Oh, and I forgot to mention that the boss's wife, and again, I forget the actress's name, but it's Kitty from that '70s show, which is she's fantastic in this. But like right. you said, it does take a a darker turn because I, I do get goosebumps. And the the boss ends up choking, and it becomes like a dark scene while they're just sitting there, and like Wanda's like, "What do we do? Vision, save him!" And he does the whole thing through the neck. And gets it out. But even during this, like, it's uncomfortable because the boss is asking questions that they don't have answers to. Like, when did they get married? When? Where did they come from? Like, How come they don't that, have kids? Yep. All things that I think Wanda is, you know, like, burying. Like, doesn't want to. And she's affecting things somehow. But he ends up saving her. And then everything's all right. And they they leave the the dinner party with Vision getting a raise, like all sitcommy stuff, except for this moment in time where things take a dark, dark turn, and it ends up like like because Vision did a, a song to distract the boss, and it gives them like all these backstories. Yeah, gives them all these backstory things that they need. Like, okay, well, today will become our anniversary, and they end up making rings because they don't have rings, and I'm like. Okay, is it Wanda filling in the backstory as we go? You know what I mean? I don't know, but... Okay, or is it someone programming this into Wanda? 
Mm-hmm. Or is this someone programming this into the vision? Right. But, um, okay, so you mentioned about the ominous scene where the boss chokes, okay? Mm-hmm. So the dinner party is going poorly up until this point. And the boss starts to choke on a piece of food. And at this point, everyone kind of freezes. Wanda says, help him. But then Kitty, again, the boss's wife, turns and looks directly at Wanda and says, help him. Mm -hmm. And she appears in the second episode without the boss. So she's just one of the people that's at the talent show, right? Okay, I didn't notice that. All right. Okay. So I think she is something. She's going to end up being a piece that moves things along the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as Vision uses his powers, saves the boss, he gets up, says, what a wonderful dinner party. Uh, uh, Kitty makes no mention of what just happens and acts like everything is perfectly normal. Right. And then my favorite joke, I popped hard, Joe, was when they opened up the door to leave and the flying lobster was the door knocker that had landed on the door. I, I cracked up. I just, I just loved it. And the, the wife was like, oh, that's very Sokovia, an interesting door knocker. But yes, like, and then everything seems to go back into place kind of a deal. So we go to second episode and now wait, it's like the early 60s. Wait, before you go further. Oh, go ahead. The episode ends, which, and I'm going to go back to in a minute, uh, is the episode ends with the Wanda thing kind of on a TV with somebody like, seems like they're talking into a microphone trying to get want somebody's attention, like in the TV. And on the tablet, and this comes later in the second episode, is the emblem on the tablet, and it'll be on the helicopter later, for S.W.O.R.D., the, uh, which was an offshoot of S.H.I.E.L.D. So something weird's going on there. Do you know what sword is? Not trying yes, to be. Yes, that's like oh. with shield. Those were the guys that went through time. No, sword was the people that defended Earth against alien a- attacks. So they were kind of like any sentient being. I forget what it stood for, but it was like Captain Marvel was in charge of it for the last couple of years. It's like, oh, if there's an invasion force, Sword's our first line of defense. And that makes me think that something's going on with that because there's a scene earlier where, like, and I, I know we're jumping all over the place, where when Vision first shows up, Scarlet Witch is using her powers to clean the, the kitchen and he gets hit in the head with a dish and it shatters. And Vision, uh, Wanda literally says, there's my husband Vision with his indestructible head, which is a clue because Vision doesn't have one. Thanos ripped it open to get the gem, not a stone, the gem. And then he says, and I think this is a clue because everybody's focusing on the, the, the head indestructible thing. Vision says something very important. And there's my wife, Scarlet Witch, and her flying saucers. And she goes, ah, you're so funny. And she puts the saucer back together and puts it on the shelf. And I'm like... I think Wanda's somehow part of S.W.O.R.D. defending against aliens or something. Whatever's going on, she's part of S.W.O.R.D. So I don't, another A lot weird, of clues. A lot of clues. Lot, yes. Sorry. A lot of dangling threads. No, no. Listen, you're picking up on a lot more stuff than I'm picking up on. Okay. I just don't want to seem like, you know, you know I might be going down some Charlie paths looking for Pepe Silva. You know what I mean? <laughs> so episode two. Uh, early 60s, more of a bewitched opening, which was fantastic. Yeah, and more of a bewitched storyline. 
Yes. And this is where we notice the house is slightly different because now there's a staircase coming down in the middle of the living room. Yes, well, the house is completely different because now the kitchen's on the left instead of the right. right. Yeah. So, but the staircase is most noticeable, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so both have their own separate things to do uh, where Wanda is going to go off to meet with the garden society for the talent show that they're putting on oh no they're practicing their magic act that they're going to do at the uh the talent show right while but earlier on they were scared by a tree branch yeah so vision is going to go off and do like uh figure out like what is it the the where you where you watch the town what is it the the people neighborhood watch neighborhood watch he's going to try and get some some good ideas and that becomes very avengery but yeah so that's the plot of this episode so they all they the two of them go off their separate ways, but as Wanda's leaving in the bushes outside the house, she finds like a toy helicopter, but it's not just any toy helicopter. It's in color because they're all in black and white. Yeah, very pleasantville at this point. Yes. So again, red flag, she's confused. This seems off. Also, and I said it before, the the helicopter has the sword logo on it too. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even notice that. Yep. So they're sitting around at the neighborhood watch and the men are all gossiping about this, that, and the other thing. There's a couple like very sly innuendo jokes in there. Mm-hmm. And Vision to Fit In says, I've got some, I've got a secret to share too. Norm is a communist. <laughs> right. Out of nowhere. But I don't mm-hmm. think that's just out of nowhere. I think there's a reason for that. I do too. I think everything is a reason, to tell you the truth. Right. And obviously the vision, uh, the way that he carries himself, the way that he acts. He's an android. He doesn't need to eat. Um, and like there's a whole bit where it's like, no, no, I, I don't like to eat in between the meals where I eat the meals away from you or something like that. You know? <laughs> right. He's like, yes, I don't. That's a great moment. But they offer him gum and to they fit offer- in. <laughs> Oh my god. And Joe, it gets inside. And do you know what the gum does? It gums up his works, Joe. <laughs> and apparently, according to this episode, the vision is run by two cogs that are inside of his belly. And if they get screwed up, he becomes drunk. Right. So that's our whole thing for the vision now. While at the Garden Society or whatever it is, you have the lead woman, Dottie. Mm-hmm. And all the other women kind of koto to her. They follow her lead. They clap when she says to clap. And for how long that she says for them to clap for, they all repeat in unison with her for the children. Hail Hydra. Um, what? What? <laughs> uh, and Wanda is kind of striking up a side conversation with Rhonda, who seems to be not so much involved with whatever Dottie is into, but like, she's kind of just playing along a bit here, or I'm sorry, Geraldine. I said, Rhonda, uh, Geraldine. Mm -hmm. The Rhonda thing is the song that comes on when she, when Wanda is talking to Dottie and through the radio, help me Rhonda by the beach boys comes on, but it starts changing into help me Wanda, which I just got goosebumps again. It's like the dinner scene. It gets really intense. Yes. Really intense because Dottie, kind of sort of says she knows what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. She knows Wanda's hiding something, and she knows Wanda is trying to fit in. And at some point, now, how does Dottie get her hand cut? Again, I forget. I think she smashes, she crushes the glass, and it, and it cuts her hand. And it's it, and it's blood in color. It's red mm-hmm. blood. Mm-hmm. And Wanda kind of freaks out because someone's bleeding, but it's also red blood in a black and white world. And Dottie says, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, um, about any good housewife knows how to get blood out of linens. Mm-hmm. And then she says, like, something like you get rid of it or something like that. I forget the exact quote, but the scene with Dottie, again, becomes very ominous because Dottie seems like she knows something that's going on. Right. So we get to the, te- oh, we, the we we have the, the commercial, as Todd mentioned before, with the, for the Strucker watch. Again, more ominous stuff. Why are these commercials in here? Why are they for stuff that seems to be something for Wanda's past or what have you? Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to the talent show. And what are Wanda Envision's names in the talent show? It's like Illusion and, and Glamour, which illusion were actually Glamour, which were actually mutants in the Wanda and Vision Maxi series. They went to see uh, a magic act that two mutants were like, "Oh, we have these powers, and we can." you know, like use them, like we could trick people with them and everybody will think it's magic. So I, I found that amusing because that's one of the few things that I actually remember. I didn't read a lot of Marvel at the time, but I did read a lot of that uh, WandaVision maxi series. So Vision, is his works are gummed up. <laughs> we know this, but he's just appearing to be drunk because of this. <laughs> and he's just kind of exposing the business of magic the entire time. <laughs> and it's Wanda's job to use her magic to explain away why vision is floating why you know people are just popping in randomly uh mm-hmm. into the into the shop where they shouldn't be like trying to do her best using her powers not to expose that they have powers right. while the vision is drunk and is unknowingly attempting to expose them and every time he's done doing anything he says flourish Yes, flourish. Yes, I was cracking up at that, that, and uh, the fact that um, I, you know, how they do smoke and mirrors and stuff to distract you. I was mostly distracted by Wanda's costume during the show. Ah, yes, <laughs> I, I will say that was an interest, and it was very like like sixties, like like whatever. Like I could like go into it, but I was like, okay, that's a really interesting look for her. But I do like the fact that like, he's like when he flies and he levitates and she uses her magic and it's the rope. And the one guy's like, Oh look, there's a, there's a rope. I'm like, yes, it's a giant crane rope. Like, I don't know how you're missing it as obviously it wasn't there before that. And the piano bit where vision lifts the piano. Cause he's strong. And she's like, Oh, like, let me get that from you. And she grabs it and it's, she turns it sideways and it's, cardboard and the guy's like oh this is my grandmother's piano i cracked up like the jokes land in this when right. they have and that and that guy was the guy who got fired for having the bad dinner with the boss in the previous episode right he's like he's like the gill of wandavision <laughs> but so they keep cutting the shots of the different people in the town 
you know, watching the talent show, and it appears to be for the children, but there's no children there, okay? Um, and like I said, Kitty from episode one is there. We don't see her husband, the boss, there. So that's interesting. And they do the classic sitcom thing where Dottie gets up, and it sounds like she's going to announce like how terrible they did, but changes her inflection and says it was the best act in talent show history and mm-hmm. even gives them this little dinky trophy for best comedy act. Right. Which they end up sharing with Geraldine because she ends up in the magician's assistant disappearing box. Mm-hmm. Um, so that Wanda could, and, and she, and Geraldine asked the question, she goes, how did this happen? You know, I was standing backstage and then all of a sudden I popped into the box how does that work, you know? And she asks them, and they don't have a great answer, but it's a good enough answer for Geraldine. Right. I do like the people were like, how did they do it? And Wanda just raises the curtain, and there's like 50 mirrors there, so it was all done with mirrors. <laughs> yeah, like, that's how just, mirrors work, right? Yeah, that's how mirrors, yeah, whatever. So that's interesting, but then Wanda ends up using her powers to get the gum out of Vision. So Vision's back to normal. So they end up going back home. They're very happy with how everything turned out. They share a kiss and a loving embrace. And as Vision pulls away, he notices that Wanda is pregnant. Mm -hmm. Where she wasn't seconds ago. And then they notice a commotion outside. Which they think from the beginning of the episode is like the tree or raccoon or whatever. But they look outside and there's a manhole cover being disturbed. And out of the manhole cover comes a beekeeper. I popped. (laughs) And Wanda just says, no, that's not right. And then rewinds the whole scene back to the revelation of her showing vision that she's now pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then it goes to color at this point, right? And then it goes to color. And that's going to take us to the next episode, which I'm going to sure be more late 60s, possibly early 70s sitcom-esque look, feel, tropes. Right, which I do believe, like, because I don't believe, uh, you might remember, when they dropped The Mandalorian the first season, they only did one episode, right? They didn't do two. And I'm thinking about it now was, because you didn't watch anything before, and it was kind of, I watched one trailer, so I knew we were getting the 50s, the sitcom trope kind of a thing. I knew what we were getting. I I thought it was going to be like the same 50s sitcom trope throughout the entirety of the thing. Right, so did I on that. And uh, I even got like from your co-host from at odds. He's the text me. He's like, did you know about this? I said, I knew a little bit. He goes, oh, I didn't even know. Like he went in clean. So it was like, oh, like black and white, like fifties thing. He liked it, but it was, it, you know, I can imagine going in with, with absolutely nothing, but I feel like that's why they dropped two episodes. Cause they're like, we need to do this to get like, cause if you watch that first episode, like I'm not, I'm not going to say like, you know, people are dumb or anything like that, but you might not get where that it's going. Like, and it becomes color. Like you needed that too, to show like the, if you didn't get the hints in the first one that the world is wrong, you definitely got the hints in the second one. Do you know what I mean? For sure. And that's why they dropped two episodes in the first week. Cause they didn't want people going like, what the heck is this? You know what yeah. I mean? So. But now you have people saying, what the heck is this in a good way? Yeah, exactly. Though the one thing that I will say is, and because uh, Disney Plus seems to be smart on their run times. They give us just what we need per episode. But man, oh man, are these short episodes. 
Like, well, and the I, first, so the first episode had a 26 minute runtime. Right. And of those 26 minutes, six minutes was credits. Yes, because people forget that at the end of those episodes, they run the credits for America, you know, any other speaking co- uh, other yep. than English. So it's like, here's all the people who play the characters in Portuguese. Here's all the uh, who do all the lines in French and German or whatever. So it's six minutes. So literally that's a tw- and I find it amusing. A 22 minute runtime. Joe, how long is a sitcom? Uh, Back in the uh, day? 2205 usually. <laughs> exact. I'm like, is this all like meta? I, I don't even know. But in the fact that I was enraged that it was like 22 minutes, I'm like, it was perfect. The time, the, the timing the, was. The second episode was a little bit longer. Still the same six. The 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 runtime on the second episode was 32 minutes with the six minute um, the six minute uh, end credits. Right. See, I thought there was even stuff after the like lo- like a black for like extra time. But anyway, I could be wrong. No, I don't think so. I, I can go back and double check. But I'll say, um, you know, when when this goes into syndication, there could be just a little bit more stuff that they cut out of this episode. You know, to yeah, get an no. extra commercial break in there. <laughs> right. Well, Joe, it's not going to go to syndication until it hits a hundred episodes. That's the rule, you know. Well, there's only nine episodes of this, so who knows? I thought there was only eight. Is there nine? no? There's according to IMDb. And I follow a, I follow a Twitter uh, Twitter account called Film Clickbait mm-hmm. that just takes all of those sites that like oh here's this crazy clickbaity story and they're just like it's one of those things like saves you a click sort of thing but it's specifically for like uh, comic book and genre movies and TV shows mm-hmm. and the headline is like you won't believe how long the WandaVision series is and it was just like nine episodes okay. I I do I I love somebody who saves me a click. Yep. But that that's a good and I'll, I'll give them a plug again. They're not affiliated with us uh, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, give them a plug because I might have to follow them. You know what I mean? Uh, film clickbait is the Twitter account. Okay. I'm writing that down. And, like just as I'm looking at their thing, it's like uh, some site says how to watch WandaVision the first Disney plus live action Marvel series. And he's just like, it's on Disney plus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh no. It's not beamed right into our heads. Right. And then there was another one. Like, uh, it's like what Robert Downey jr. Could look like as general Admiral Thawne. And it's like, here's the image from the article. Don't click on it. <laughs> oh, Robert Downey jr. Is going to be grand Admiral Thawne. Well, that's what these people are speculating. That's legit, I think. I 100% think that's true. Right. I would and then there's another see- one. Like Mike, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Michael Keaton is the DCEU main Batman going forward. And then it just says, Warner Brothers has not has not confirmed this. Right. That's all. Yeah. And oh. then he follows, he follows it up with, in the article, it says, seemingly confirms. Well, that's the same as confirms. Uh-huh seemingly and and actually being are the same thing as far as i'm concerned <laughs> so what did you think all around of the first two i episodes? enjoyed it i loved it i want i really and this is why i just want to say this because and i was discussing this with somebody the other day i said because you know you love love the marvel you, the movies love the marvel movies you know what i mean but they do have a formula and literally somebody once pointed out the movie it's like 
you know, heroes get together, villain shows up, they're all hunting down the flashy thing, you know, the bright blinking flashy thing, the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes. And I do think as, you know, the movies went on and, you know, people loved Ragnarok. I have a, my mileage varies because I feel like they tried to be Guardians of the Galaxy. And I, I believe the movies became less original to what they're doing and did they hit a formula and this is so different from anything that we got that it's refreshing i mean whether or not you love the movies and you love them for what they are this is you cannot you know argue that this is completely different than anything that we've got from marvel so far so i actually love it because it's it's different if that makes any sense absolutely Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, uh, I, I didn't think I was going to come into this. You know, Marvel has a pretty good batting average with this sort of stuff. Disney Plus has a pretty good batting average with new stuff. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I'll be looking forward to the next episode, and we'll be looking forward to talking about it uh, next week. Yep. And next week's episode will be the one that's like 48 minutes long, just to kind of, like, prove the theory wrong that they're going for, like, the sitcom runtime on things, you know? Well, if it's 44 minutes, then it's the hour-long comedy, Joe. There you go. Or the dramedy, because now we're starting to get into the dramedy stuff. Uh, We'll see. Again, I don't know if it's going to be late 60s, early 70s. We'll see. Yep, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Uh, So, again, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, Episode 538, Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.